Hey, hey, everyone, just popping in before the episode starts to let you know that Maria and I are going to be at RSA this year, and we'd love to see you. Come see us at the Exonius booth. We'll be doing a recording for an interview with the Exonius and the Hacker Valley guys. We'd love to meet you in person. Hit us up on LinkedIn DM, and yeah, we'd love to see you. Bring signs that say, love you, Maria and Gianna, to that Axonius booth recording. It's going to be noon on Wednesday, the 8th. And we're both so excited to see you. Enjoy the next episode. Welcome to the Breaking Through in Cybersecurity Marketing podcast, where we explore the hottest topics in cyber marketing, interview experts, and help you become a better cybersecurity marketer. Hello, hello. Welcome to another episode of Breaking Through in Cybersecurity Marketing Podcast. I'm your host, Maria Velasquez. And with me, Gianna Whitfer. And we're so excited for today's guest. We have Karen Walsh, who's the CEO and founder of Allegro Solutions. Allegro Solutions provides quality technology and cybersecurity content marketing services for so many of our member cybersecurity vendors within the society and many other awesome clients. Most importantly, she's a lawyer, she's a compliance expert, and a kick-ass scary auditor, so don't get on her bad side. She has green hair and just awesome all around. We can't wait to get into today's topic. We'll be talking content marketing, we'll be talking buzzwords, and everything that Karen hates in content marketing. (laughs) This is going to be a great episode. (laughs) Karen, tell us a little bit about yourself, and then we'll jump right into the questions we have for you. Sure. So... The TLDR, I was an English major, started working in environmental claims in insurance, which was complex claims litigation, went to law school at night, hated it, terrible life choice, never wanted to be a lawyer. I really went because I wanted to be a lobbyist, but I stayed in Connecticut. Hi, I'm from Connecticut. (laughs) And did internal audit instead, did some first year college writing teaching for about 11 years. So I did that for 11 years and I did internal audit for 12 And then I ended up in cybersecurity marketing because when I lost an audit client, my first client saw compliance, didn't know there was a difference between IT and Bank Secrecy Act for banks. And here I am today and I love it. It's the best thing I've ever done. Well, financially, it's the best thing I've ever done. Teaching (laughs) was like the soul food that didn't pay anything for like real food. (laughs) Karen, can you tell us a little bit about what audit even means in the context of cybersecurity? Sure. When you're talking about audits and when you're talking about cybersecurity, no matter what type of audit it is, it follows the principles of GRC. G is your governance, which means your board and your senior leadership know what's going on and understand things. Risk is what they really need to do. It's what they need to assess. What could happen and how likely is it and what would the impact be? And then compliance is here's a list of things you need to be doing and here's a bunch of boxes and make sure you check them off. And the biggest problem, especially in cybersecurity, since that is us, is that traditional approaches to compliance are really around this whole check the box concept, like make sure everything is done, tick it off, and once it's done, you're good. The problem, and this is really important as marketers to remember, compliance is a minimum baseline. So it's like, if you're not doing this, you're really kind of terrible at what you're doing. 
with cybersecurity, a lot of times you really should be going beyond just these baselines and these minimums. And that's where my real approach to things when I write and I work with clients is the idea of security first compliance. You start by securing everything because once you have all those technical controls in place, then when the auditors go to look at and see what you've done, they're like, oh, you definitely have the minimum baselines. And in theory, you should be going beyond that. Makes sense. I love how you explain that in the most simple of terms. <laughs> I feel I like, like now I truly understand what GRC is. <laughs> also, all of you listeners don't get to experience this, but I also liked how you moved your hands around. That was also very good and helped. <laughs> my mom is Italian American. And so if I don't talk with my hands, I'm not talking, obviously. Obviously. So Karen, where should we take this to start? Should we talk about the things you hate or should we talk about the things you love or should we talk about writing? Like, Let's start with something positive. Yeah, it's Friday after all. It's Friday. We're recording this on a Friday. We're recording this on a Friday. (laughs) I love content marketing because there is an ability to be either formulaic or creative. And I think it really depends on the approach you want to take. And I'm very deeply steeped in SEO. I have a very fundamental belief in three things around content marketing. One, your website, every aspect of it, including your blog, is real estate. And I always explain this to new clients, especially early stage startups. It's real estate. It's high value real estate, especially with everybody deciding now that we've all been home for a couple of years that what they want to do is check things out digitally before they make any kind of commitment to talking to an actual human being. And if you weren't going to put a building that would bring you value on a piece of high value real estate, and you are just going to leave that blank, or you are just going to put up the she shed that I've been asking for for two years. We're going to put up a GoFundMe and we'll get you a she shed, Karen. (laughs) I want my she shed so bad. If you're only going to put up your she shed for two years on your website, you're not optimizing that high value real estate. So you're paying all the taxes. You are dealing with all of the upkeep, but you're not getting the benefit of what you could be getting. You're not getting rent from people. For example, if you're just putting a she shed instead of an apartment building or an office complex on that high value real estate, you're not getting, I'm going to talk about my she shed a lot. You're not getting the value of that high value real estate. So that's my first thing that I like to talk about. And that's where SEO will come in. Second, It's really how people view you. Again, we're living in a world where it's everybody wants to go to the internet. They want to look things up. They want to vet everything. So what you need to be doing is making sure that you are explaining what you do in a way that's meaningful to that person. And in content marketing, it's really hard because, and again, especially the early stage startups that I work with a lot. They focus a lot on their technology, how cool it is, how lead it is. The problem is you have more than one audience. You have your technical audience who might be using it, but you also have your business audience, your C-suite level, the people who have an actual wallet. And so those are the people that you also have to talk to. And you have to understand the value that you bring to them, not only so that they recognize it, but to enable those technical users to talk them into purchasing it. And three, that really leads into 
education. I spent 11 long years teaching first-year college writing to a bunch of 18-year-olds, many of whom were engineering majors, I might add, all of whom, okay, most of whom, disliked me immensely. (laughs) (laughs) Professor Walsh. Oh, yeah, go ahead. Go look up Rate My Professor for Karen Walsh. She'll have a good time with that. Oh, my gosh. We're going to put that in the show notes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, there were people who loved me. There were people who hated me because I had really high standards. And I think, again, that boils into what you put on your website. Have high standards of educating those who are coming into your website. They need to know things and they're not going to take that next step to convert if they don't understand and if you haven't educated them. And Education means giving them a way to explain things and do things. So a really great example that I talk about a lot with clients. I taught for 11 years. I keep saying this, but it's really important to this particular story. I also graduated in 1996. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, what was that? 1996. (laughs) And so what I learned was that I was asking my students for seven of the years I was teaching to write a thesis statement. And I'd say, write a thesis statement. And I had learned it was subject, verb that has an opinion, and three arguments, right? Easy structure. Y'all, it took me seven years to finally ask students, do you know what I mean when I say a thesis statement? And they were like, no, what do you mean? And that entirely changed the way I approach things. And it was like four years later, when I realized they didn't know what a subject and verb were in a sentence. (laughs) Oh boy. Like conceptually they understood it. And again, this really does apply to cybersecurity. I'm coming back to it because I think a lot of times C-suite leaders conceptually understand cybersecurity. But when I said, here's the sentence, tell me the subject and the verb, they couldn't do that. Wow. So I think a lot of that informs how I approach my writing, because if you assume, and you know what they say about those of us who assume, but this is a PG podcast. No, it's no, not. It's not. No, no. Oh, it makes goodness. an ass out of you and me. <laughs> Please do curse. <laughs> makes an ass out of you and me. When we assume that customers coming into our website know something, we're making that same mistake. And most That's startups so don't have seven years to realize oh, crap, my customer coming in doesn't know what I mean by this term. And they don't have an additional four years to say, oh, well, I used that term and I thought they understood, but there's a fundamental element of that term that they don't really get. And so clients will say to me, well, do we really need to explain this again? I'm like, yeah, yeah, we really, really kind of do. We really do because you don't know where in someone's education journey they're coming to your content. Right. That's so true. And on the homepage is exactly where you want to cater for that, right? You want to cater for the different personas and cater for the different stages in the customer journey and where somebody is. And it's super hard. And I think it's why cybersecurity specifically is super difficult because you have two very different audiences. It's not like a regular business where, yeah, you have all marketing professionals, say, coming to a marketing automation, right? Everybody who's looking at it understands it the same way. You don't have that in cybersecurity. And I think that's particularly challenging. I think it's why things like, and it's not something I do personally, but I know some people who do, is like those 
short videos that are basically like just somebody on a screen clicking through to show how something works on the inside, putting that along with the business proposition and the business problem you solve, that's a good way to align those two audiences and tell them the messages they need. Because your technical person really wants the inside. Your business person really wants the, okay, so what are you doing to make my life easier? Hmm. Everybody take notes, explainer videos with ROI messaging on the side for the business buyer. <laughs> Love it. What about those that don't want to show the inside on marketing videos and they want you to get on a personal demo? I don't think the videos have to be deep. Hmm. I've seen some where it's 30, not even 30 seconds, like a five second click through of a particular feature. It's like having a teaser at the beginning of a movie. Like we did for Mm. the ad for this podcast. You have a teaser. It tells you who it is and it gives you a little visibility. Now everybody knows that I didn't put makeup on today. It gives you a little visibility into the inside of that person's life. They could see my office and that my door was open, that I didn't have makeup on today. (laughs) I put on lipstick for you. And I know you that you like this color. Yes, I do. It looks amazing. Thanks. I did the opposite. I rolled around in dirt before I got on this. <laughs> <laughs> that's a, that's no, and I think that's the challenge that a lot of people are facing is, yes, you have people who don't want to see the inside. Okay, but at least give them what a dashboard might look like. Give them a picture of a dashboard. So, Karen, if we take this, hey, we want to both talk to the technical buyer and the business buyer How do you translate that into content? And let's add another layer. Let's be really difficult here. Let's say, and we want it to be SEO optimized. What do you do? How do you mix in SEO in order to be telling a good story to your buying audience, but also try and rank for terms for when people are searching? Yeah, that's the big challenge, right? Because you do have these two audience members. So a lot of times, I've said this in the cybersecurity marketing Slack, so I'm certainly not sharing something out of band. My secret sauce is that everything is kind of formulaic. Now you guys all don't have to hire me, I guess, but I mean, it's formulaic. You set out a business problem that you're looking to solve, right? You define what that business problem is. And when you're defining what that business problem is, you focus on certain terms that your SEO generating technologies will help you with. You explain, because you want to create empathy, what the challenges are. Even if you're doing it in like the third person, like an objective third person, by saying these are three challenges that X industry has when trying to do Y security function, You're showing that you understand and that you empathize. And then, this is the one, you give them actionable steps, like three steps to securing your blank with your blank. Three steps to securing your cheese with your baseball bat. Exactly. Oh, it's Mad Libs. It's Mad Libs. And those steps are things that you're really good at. So if you're a baseball bat, this one's going to throw me. Because I'm going to make the analogy and I'm going to follow it through. But I got to pause and my brain's got to cogitate. If you're a baseball bat, how do you secure the cheese? Right? So what's your plus one? <laughs> I'm so sorry for suggesting this. We have to change this episode title to Securing your cheese with a baseball bat. Content marketing strategies for securing your cheese. <laughs> 
the argument. Here's the thing. It's all about rhetoric. Marketing is social engineering. We all know that, right? You're telling the story in the way that the person wants to hear it, right? Okay, so securing your cheese with a baseball bat. Okay, so number one, what can you do? You're a baseball bat, right? You're made of, let's use a wooden one because I'm thinking of that. You sell wooden baseball bats. And cheese is life for me, so now I'm going to be hungry. So what are your plus ones? You're large-ish. You can be used physically to hurt someone else. You weigh a lot. Those are your plus ones. So what are you going to do? You're going to say, okay, one, if somebody's coming for your cheese, whack them in the knee. It feels better than the head. This just got really quiet. <laughs> I clearly have feels. Okay. <laughs> That's the obvious plus one, right? But your less obvious ones might be, okay, you can use it to shut the door to the room that the cheese is in. Oh. mm -hmm. So you can wedge it under the doorknob so that somebody can't get in. So first we had, you can use it to hurt someone. Two, we have, it's big, right? Because that would be how you would get it wedged under the doorknob. Three, it's heavy. So maybe... You're using it to protect your cheese from your toddler because toddlers like cheese. And so you put the baseball bat on top of the box that the cheese is in. I thought you were going with you whack your toddler. (laughs) I mean, when my kid was four, there were a lot of times where I felt violent. But we're 13 now and and that changed. So I think this is going to lead us to another interesting point. I learned a lot about how to protect your cheese with using a baseball bat. But this is leading into one of the topics that you like to talk about, Karen, which is how to make content interesting when frankly, it's pretty, it can get boring because you're using a formula because you have your like problem statement and then you have your empathy statement and then you have your three or six things or whatever that help solve the problem. So like, how do you make content interesting when in a lot of ways it can just be like another formulaic blog? Right. I do want to tack on one thing at the end of the last section. What's important to remember is that even if you're following that formula, what you are doing when you are following that formula is you're writing about something specifically. You're not being general. And because you're doing that and because you're focusing on educating, you really are optimizing for on-page SEO because on-page SEO is based on how knowledgeable you are about a topic and how well you talk about it. And so when you're defining things and when you're talking about the challenges and when you're explaining the solutions, you're automatically building in a lot of those keywords without coming across as keyword stuffing. So now how do you tell something that's not boring? And that's hard because I was doing a lot of research before this podcast and I love analogies in case you hadn't noticed. (laughs) Yes. They're a really great way of explaining something to someone. The problem is when you're trying to rank for SEO, using analogies can get in the way. Because if I were to use a cheese and baseball bat analogy when talking about securing enterprise software, Google would pretty much go, what the fuck? So telling the story has to incorporate understanding the persona. And you can go one of two ways, I think. I have one client and I actually enjoy writing for them a lot because they really do take a very narrative kind of writerly creative approach. And it's like, put yourself in the customer's shoes. 
What is their problem? Talk about the problem. So we're going to move away from cheese and baseball bats. So <laughs> Ruby's like, yes, thank you. I'm trying to think of something real quick. Why not make it a cyber example? Yeah, I was just going to say, let's put it into like real life cybersecurity kind of example. Yeah, I'm trying to think of one that isn't involved with a client that I have. Why don't you use Votero? You want to use my company? Sure. Nice. Free consulting. Free consulting right there. Okay, so Votero does email protection. Well, okay. Hi, everybody, all of us security listeners. Votero does content design reconstruction. So I'd say protects data in motion by proactively removing malware before it gets to its end destination. Right, right, right. I remember that now. Sometimes clients are mad and they're like, how come you can't remember everything? I'm like, I don't know. There's like a bunch of them. So (laughs) I'm not mad. (laughs) (laughs) I had one person once tell me, why can't you remember everything? I'm like, dude, do you know how many different conversations with different technology companies I have every day? Okay. So Votero does content disarm and reconstruction. Gianna's like, yes, that is what we do. Okay. So... A really good example of writing a narrative that also hits SEO buttons would be, okay, you just received a call from your IT department that someone detected malware or that they got a malware alert and it's on a user device and you don't know how it got there and you're suspecting that it's phishing, but it's late on a Friday and really everybody just wants to go home. Wow, hitting on so many emotions right there Mm -hmm. and literally just talking straight to the person's heart. And yet at the same time, did we get keywords in that Google would enjoy? Mm -hmm. Oh, but we did. So it depends on how your branding is. If your branding is super corporate, then you would say malware spreads by PDFs embedded in emails when people click on them. Excuse me, Karen, are you giving my company that voice? That's right. I wrote that. I probably wrote that. So I'm giving myself that voice. (laughs) If you're taking more of a storytelling approach because you want to be something that's more of like the leak, hip and cool technology, you can write it in the other voice. So you can actually get storytelling in if you're thinking at it from the approach of I'm in the shoes of the person This is the problem that they have in their daily job. And here is how we solve that for them. Yeah, I love that analogy. That that works so well. And now we'd like to take a moment to thank our sponsors and producers, Hacker Valley Media. Chris Cochran and Ron Eddings run an amazing studio here, which produces not only the Breaking Through in Cybersecurity Marketing podcast, but a bunch of other shows that you're going to want to listen to as well. So all these shows plus more, and then on top of that, probably even more coming soon, are available to look at, listen to, and sponsor at HackerValley.com. Make sure you go over there and say, hey, Gianna and Maria said I should come check out your website, listen to your shows, and uh, sponsor a podcast or two. I'd like to ask you, what are your top 10 marketing buzzwords to avoid on content? Go. I totally apologize to any current clients. This is not directed at you. It's directed at the industry. (laughs) My number one is frictionless. But things can be frictionless when they don't have friction. Oh, you're making (laughs) such a face right now. I'm making such a face right now. You know why? So let me explain why. Technically, even physically, 
in the real world, like actual mathematical physics, there is nothing that is frictionless. Unless it's air. And even air has things in it. (laughs) Right? So to me, it's a term that we use that is a waste of real estate. Love it. Okay. More end user touches. Less end user interactions. Faster access to something. All of those are more purposeful terms. Mm. You're being specific and not general. Right. Okay. Number two. Tell us as many as you can. Number two. In five minutes. In five minutes. I can do that. So I hate frictions. I'm not a big fan of seamless. Again, it goes back to the same thing. Like, what do you mean by that? It's my lunch delivery. Seamless. (laughs) And I think, again, part of the problem with a lot of these terms is people haven't really thought about what they mean by the term. And so it makes them meaningless. Love it. Number three. Okay, we're all just going to admit artificial intelligence and machine learning are really nothing more than analytics. Hmm. It's your algorithm and your data set. We used to say I worked at a company called Bandura and my boss there would always say it's just math. (laughs) It's just math. That's all it is. It's just math. Can I push back on you a little bit, Karen? Because a lot of cybersecurity companies, their technology is based on AI and ML. And that's a key feature that they're trying to say that there's a benefit from that specifically. So what do you do in those situations? Or like, what do you think about that? I think it goes back to being purposeful. What does it do that's special? Everybody is saying that they have AI and ML. What makes yours cooler? What makes yours better? Like, why does somebody want to choose your mathematical algorithm over somebody else's mathematical algorithm because they're all mathematical algorithms and nobody knows what's inside because they're all proprietary. So it, again, becomes a term that has no real meaning. Hmm. I mean, I understand that the data breach investigations report and the cost of a data breach report all say you save money when you use automated solutions to help catch vulnerabilities and detect and investigate and respond. And I'm there with that. I get it. We need them. But just saying it because everybody else has it, I'm going to go back to my mom, my Italian New York mom. If everybody jumped off the Brooklyn Bridge, would you do it too? I mean... (laughs) (laughs) linguistically that's all it is it's like all the cool kids are saying it so we have to too yeah thanks to google yes (laughs) any other terms that you hate operational costs (laughs) that didn't take long to answer (laughs) and okay elaborate i have used operational costs Because everybody hates audit. So if I'm talking about audit all the time, okay, everybody wants to reduce operational costs. And I get it. Operational costs could mean a multitude of things. It could mean time someone spends doing things that aren't actually related to their job function. It could be time spent looking up documentation for an audit. What specifically is the operational cost that you're saving? It could be time sending emails to follow up on things. That's fair. Or your cable bill. Or your cable bill. It's that broad. And I get why you would want it to be more specific. Or your rent for your she shed. I want my she shed. I've wanted my she shed since 2020. We have time for one more buzzword. Let's see here. Actionable. Okay. What do you mean when you say you give 
actionable insights. Yeah, for me, I'll- it's like, I'm going to give you three things that you can apply today and solve your problem, or at least get you closer to solving your problem, like specific, not marketing fluff. And I think that's, again, we say, you have actionable insights. Okay, what exactly is it? Is it that the actionable insight is giving directions to how to secure something? Is it just telling you, okay, you have five vulnerabilities and now you know you have to do something with them? Hmm. And I think, again, so I have to give a shout out here. I know she's never going to hear this. I don't even know where she lives anymore. But my sixth grade teacher, Mrs. Prouty, shout out to Mrs. Prouty for this, always made us learn and not use what she called weak words. And these were things like good and bad because they are vague. They can have a multitude of meanings depending on who you are. And so apparently as early as sixth grade, I didn't like vague words, probably because I didn't get as good a grade and I was a high achiever. And in case you all hadn't noticed, (laughs) you all hadn't noticed, Karen's a little bit of a type A personality, a little bit of a perfectionist. She really taught me the importance of using precise language. And I think this is why product marketers bring so much value to cybersecurity companies because they help you find that precise language. In the case of actionable, I think... <laughs> don't laugh. I was going to say something somewhat smart. Well, we're all, every, no, I was waiting for her to say, but wait, what do you... <laughs> everyone listening. I don't like that you don't like actionable, Karen. No, go ahead, Yeah. I was going to say, everyone listening to this episode today, literally after the episode is over, everyone's going to go on their website. <laughs> Control F, actionable. Control F, seamless. Control F, frictionless. <laughs> it's funny that you hate actionable because I'm pretty sure actionable rose out of the fact that a lot of cybersecurity vendors, when we're giving information and data to our customers, right? Like specifically in, in like the SOC environment, right? Like, hey, red alerts. Red alert, red alert, red alert, red alert. Okay, what do I do with that alert? Now I have to process it. Now I have to prioritize it. Now I have to think about it. Now I have to work with my team to solve it. And I think actionable arose to say something like you were saying, Karen, that yes, you can take action on this, that you can do something with this insight, that this is actually something that has like a tangible step to it. But since you said actionable is one of your hated words, I actually agree with you because when you do see actionable now in the lexicon of a thousand vendors, websites and data, like what does it mean? I don't know. Could be that you still have to think and process and do something. Could be that it's a click a button, which I've seen in a lot of vendors now, like a click a button to solve it. And like, for example, in remediation companies. So that's really interesting. And I think it all goes back to the idea that you need to educate people coming into your website through visual and written texts. If you're not using precise language, you haven't educated them. Go back to thesis statement. In theory, a thesis statement should be something that's clear. But if the person you're talking to doesn't have the same understanding of what that term means, then you're not appropriately educating them. You're just fluffing them with marketing then. Mm -hmm. So Karen, <laughs> uh, Gianna's doing the fluffing gesture. <laughs> it's more like stoning is what you're doing. Yeah. <laughs> this, you I think this would be a fluffing gesture. 
Yes. Oh, right. It just... looks like she's throwing things. She's stoning. <laughs> I'm doing lightning bolts from my hands. That's why. Right. <laughs> All right. So, Karen, we covered your top marketing buzzwords. Tell us about your favorite cybersecurity publications that you trust for news and information. Obviously, dark reading. I do a lot of compliance, so I tend to like Security Mag. HelpNet has some good things. Even if there's some vendor stuff on there. Oh, what's man, the other we just did HelpNet. <laughs> All of those nets. Let's edit this out, please. No, I'm kidding. Well, I mean, <laughs> there's nothing wrong with vendor stuff, as long as it has value. I am a huge fan of doing research, so I tend to focus more on things that have numbers and statistics. I'm going to give a shout out, and this is a product, and I know it's a product, but Feedly's cybersecurity feeds are phenomenal. Like, I am in love with them. They have an enterprise cybersecurity product. Sorry, but it's really, really worthwhile because it brings in all the news from all the places, and I found so much stuff in there that I wouldn't have seen otherwise, so it's literally where I go every day. I check my Feedly feed. I look for, and I've got it segmented out by like regulatory compliance. I'm just saying like, no, I this am is great. Love. You know why this is great? Because I feel like a great part of you is a little bit our ICP as cybersecurity marketers, even though you are a marketer yourself. So it could very well be that a lot of our buyers are also on Feedly doing the same exact thing. So this is yeah, great. And here's the thing. A lot of it is intended for threat intelligence, but if you're in marketing, you need to know what's going on all the time. Mm-hmm. 100%. Especially you know- for PR. Because if you want to send out good quotes and put out good thought leadership, you need to know what's happening in the industry. So this is another place where marketing and the actual security team, every cybersecurity company has a security team, at least hopefully in theory. We're going to say they all do. Because if you're not a secure security team, Vendor, that's a bigger issue than you don't really need marketing quite as much. I can't solve um, that problem. I'm not going to think about it. <laughs> and it's a place where if they need it and you can use it, there's a good budgetary overlap and you can split it. Mm-hmm. So Feedly, so actually the marketer who runs and launched this product, like who owns the launch of the Feedly Cybersecurity Threat Intelligence feed is in our group, Sarah. So Sarah, I don't know if you're listening, but shout out, you have fans here and you have fans probably everywhere <laughs> for the for your guys' awesome threat intelligence feed. And we'll put a link to that in the show notes. Awesome. Okay. Do we have time for one more question or two more? One more question and in our favorite Fun. bonus oh, last question of each we, episode, right? Yeah. Should we do it as a game this time or you think we just want to flat ask? Oh, let's do a game. Okay, well, ask your Not next question. Not with you, first. but like board at life. Oh, you're bored with the what? <laughs> okay, so- I'm like, I'm bored and I'm like, not with you, just life in general. It's okay, I'm so, so I'm so glad we could, okay. the world gets to hear so- about this. Oh, Maria, you can go. <laughs> I don't even know if I want to ask this question anymore. <laughs> Karen? Yes? How do you earn respect in cybersecurity as a woman and a marketer who knows her shit. Lord of mercy. Oh boy. <laughs> and it's not even just as a woman and as a marketer, it's as a freelancer. Mm, another layer of complexity, yeah, right? Like, for the records, everyone, this is like my big thing. I have to point this out. 
just because someone is a freelancer does not mean they can't have a real job. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's... Do you know how many people treat freelancers like it's not a real job all the time? All the time. That's bad. Let's change that. We're going to change that with this episode right here, right now. That's right. Now it's fixed. Thank you, Maria. It's hard. And I think a lot of it is, for me, I get really assertive. And then people will say, oh, well, we don't like you because you're aggressive. And I'm like, then hire a different freelancer. I've actually had clients where they're like, well, blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, oh, you don't know. And then I'll go through it. I'll be like, this is the problem. This is the problem. This is, And they're like, oh, I didn't know that. I'm like, oh, yeah, here's a resource. Here's a resource. Here's a resource. And they're like, oh, oh, you really do know what you're talking about. I'm like, mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's awesome. But in a way, also, you do have to prove yourself, it sounds like. Mm-hmm. Every constantly. single time. There's two layers when you're doing contract work, too. You have to prove that you're good at what you do because you're a new relationship as a business. And I think cybersecurity companies have the same thing because technically you're a contractor, right? So you have to prove to customers that you're valuable to them. And two, you have to prove that you actually know what you're talking about on both a technical and every other thing, especially because I don't have the technical background. So you have to prove that you understand the technical enough, even if you don't code. And in cybersecurity, as a woman who's also a contractor, it's like three layers of uphill battle because I don't want to code. I have tried coding. I do not like coding. Coding is not where I want to live. We don't like seamless. We don't like coding. We don't like lots of things on this. It's really just not my thing. And I am really impressed by all the people who can do it and enjoy doing it. But Lord, I've tried it. I did some try hack me, which was great because I got to learn a bunch of stuff. So if you want to get a little amped up and just get a sense of what it's like to do red teaming or blue teaming, try hack me is really great. And they have a lot of free resources. So shout out to try hack me. And that'll give you a lot of insight into what the technical buyer wants. Again, super great. But I don't want to do it. Like, I want to write. It's what I'm good at. I mean, I've been published in a bunch of different places. I have books out. I know I'm a good writer. It's what I like doing. I don't want to code. But I have to make sure people don't treat me like I'm stupid because I don't do the technical job. Which goes along with the marketing because they think marketing fluff. I've literally had people say, well, we just need you to put the marketing fluff in this document. Oh, my goodness. Oh, yeah. Okay. You're here among friends, Karen, and we know that you're not a marketing (laughs) fluff person at all. And everybody on this podcast will know that, too, because fluff (laughs) is your enemy. It is. For a knitter who loves fiber and all the soft, fuzzy things, in words, I am not about fluff. (laughs) so let's go into i think our game before we can tell people where to find you so everybody in the past on previous episodes we have asked our audience members a question if you were not doing what you're doing now what would you be doing this time me and maria are gonna guess Karen, what would be your alternative career? And at the end, you'll let us know whether or not one of us is right or not. And then you could tell us what the right answer is. So it can't be a lawyer because you were a lawyer, can't be a marketer and can't be a writer. Who wants to go first? Maria, do you want to go first? Or you want me to go first? I'm going to go first. And no, it's not going to be a cheese beater. <laughs> 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 
Well, so, gosh, would you actually be in, in hairdressing? I know this sounds crazy. No, <gasps> I'm totally off the mark, huh? I have no creative abilities like that whatsoever, which is kind of a, I guess that's like telling Gianna that I got my wordle in three when she knows my first starting word, but. Huh, I don't know. There is definitely an artsy side to you. There's obviously a creator side to you because you are a writer. And I just immediately thought, oh, okay, could be. Okay, I'm completely off. Gianna, you go. All right, I have a guess. I feel like you, Karen, could like lead a group of people into war or Ooh. not war, but like you could be the head of something with like a lot of passion for something. So maybe you'd be like a prophet. Ooh, or a general. <laughs> so, <laughs> wow. Neither of us get it right. <laughs> Honestly, you're probably going to hate this answer. If money wasn't an option, I would go back to teaching. That doesn't count though, because you were a teacher. So it can't be something that you were, right? Well, Is that why not? Role? If I left because I wasn't getting paid well. Yeah. Okay. I mean, that really was my passion. Like, that was my passion. I loved it. I probably miss it every day. Yeah, every day. I wake up days thinking how much I miss teaching. Shout out to Black Girls in Cyber. They're letting me be a mentor this session, and I'm oh, super excited. And my mentee is amazing. If Janine ever hears this, hi, Janine. She's out in Spain. And that's really helping me fill sort of that soul void. I do a lot of informal mentoring, too, because I really miss it. Now, if I had the talent, I would be a musician because, oh, nobody can see. I was going to bring over my violin. I have, <laughs> I was like, I can see you guys, but this is just a podcast. I have a green electric violin, and I've been a musician since I was eight. And that's really my other passion. Like, I don't get to do it as much as I'd like because I'm busy working. But another shout out. Because I'm kind of excited. I'm actually working with Trisha Kicks Sass. Trisha Howard. Is that her last name? Yes. Okay. Trisha Howard. And we're going to be doing a video for my website coming out in sometime Q2. And her boyfriend, Greg, is writing special music. And we're going to include my violin. Yeah, as a matter of fact, and this will lead into the final stuff. That's actually where my business name came from. So my oh, business is Allegro Solutions. Allegro. And I had been having my own business since 2004 because when I was an auditor, I was also a contract auditor. And when I came up with the name of my company, I wanted it to be something that if I ever left audit, which apparently I clearly did, would kind of showcase my personality and be able to be a little flexible without having to start a new LLC. And so I chose Allegro Solutions and my original logo was a mirror version of a G-Clef for the S. And then when I revamped my logo 2020, I actually chose the current one because it looked like a Dal Segno. So it looked like a musical sign. That's awesome. Uh, we're going to link to that in the show notes for sure. And Karen, can you bring your violin over here and play like for a little bit? And maybe we can have Sam like mix it into the outro. Is that crazy? Yeah, <laughs> yeah no, it's not crazy. No, so I don't have crazy. my electric plugged in. I could bring up my acoustic though. She's beautiful. I love her. She's new to me. I got her last year around this time because it showed up in my Facebook memories. Her name is Evelyn. You always name your Instagram. I love how you have a name for it. Yeah, bring it. Okay. Play something for us. You know, that must be why I'm so bad at music. I never named my French horn. That must be why I'm bad. <laughs> I don't play. 
We're trying to get Selma into it. She has a violin. She's playing at school. But no, I still have faith in my Hollywood career, though. It's going to happen. Yeah, it's... (laughs) I have faith too, but you might have to move to LA though. Living in the incorrect state, I think. I think you do have to move for your career. Could you imagine breaking through into Hollywood all the way from Connecticut via Zoom? (laughs) Oh, but just so you ladies can see her, this is my electric. Whoa, that's pretty kick ass. We need a picture of that. Yeah, you'll have to send us a picture, Karen, and we'll put it in the show notes. And I bought her because she has silent practice. So you can put headphones on and nobody has to hear me. So it doesn't scare the dogs. (laughs) I actually stopped playing for about 10 years because the dog we used to have was afraid of the instrument. Also, because green is clearly my signature color. Love it. I got myself a green shoulder rest. Shout out to Everest. For any of those listening who either play an instrument or have a kid who wants something that's cool. I'm like just plugging all my favorite vendors. Are you sponsored, Karen? Nope. I just like sharing cool things. You're a kind soul, Karen. Also, for anybody who's listening while I'm finishing this part up here, if you have not ever heard of Lindsay Sterling, she is an electric violinist who does some like super amazing nerdy music. Her Pokemon theme is one of my all-time favorites. We'll be sure to link to her in the show notes. Yeah, she's awesome. All right. love it that was amazing i have chills oh my gosh that was so good and i'm actually in our local orchestra where i play second violin right i did see that and i actually had it on our show notes to ask you about it and i am on the executive board there so i'm currently working on their website as a volunteer project love it that's amazing karen thank you so much for being with us today Thank you for bringing art into cyber (laughs) and for bringing wisdom into content marketing (laughs) and for allowing us to talk to you and uncover your amazing story. It's been an amazing chat. Thank you so much. I had such a good time. You guys are always some of my favorite people. I love y'all. Shout out to the Cybersecurity Marketing Society. (laughs) I mean, that doesn't count as a plug because we're on it, but. (laughs) Right. Well, I mean, if any of you do want to join the Cybersecurity Marketing Society, visit the website at cybersecuritymarketingsociety.com and click on apply to join. And you'll be joining us plus Karen. And we all have a really good time in there. Karen, where can people contact you? If they want to either learn more about your content marketing services or about your violin playing services. I do not offer violin playing services. Nobody would want me. I'm only like mediocre, but that's because I don't get to rehearse a lot. I like to think. You can find me at Allegro, A-L-L-E-G-R-O, Solutions, LLC.com, only because AllegroSolutions.com was taken. I'm on Twitter at GeekMomK because I also write for Geek Mom, so... I'm going to give a quick plug. I have writing on Geek Mom, which is Geek Mom blog, geekmom.com. And you can find me on LinkedIn, Geeky Karen. I have a brand. I'm a big Love nerd. It. Love it. Thank you, Karen. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. 
Yeah. See you all on the next episode. Don't forget to subscribe and like so that you can get notified for every new episode that comes out and make sure you share with your friends and colleagues in cybersecurity marketing. And if you want to be on the show, send an email to podcasts with an S at hackervalley.com or visit cybersecuritymarketingsociety.com backslash podcast, no S. See you all next time.